Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's verse six. There are three things that the Lord promises here. He promises goodness. He promises mercy and eternal life. Goodness, mercy, and all the days of your life. And then eternal life when you die. Now, I'm meant to, I had that lined up to preach last week, but then the Lord just said, no, it's not time for it yet. And little did I know uh, how he was going to have me living this out and sharing, living this, what I'm going to be talking to you about today all week long. His goodness and his mercy has followed us all the way through all of this. There's been miracle after miracle happening just to assure us that he was with us, even though things got tough. So uh, uh, goodness and mercy, wonderful things. And uh, I remember a long, long time ago, back probably 30 years ago, a dear friend of mine and I were having a conversation and we were very different theologically. He was a universalist. He thought that everybody goes to heaven, no matter what, no matter how bad you've been, no matter what, everybody goes to heaven, no matter what, what you believe or what you've done. Uh, well, anyway, that was his belief. And so I asked him, I said, so why would we even bother to evangelize? Why do we even need to think about witnessing or sharing the gospel with people in any way? If everybody's going to go to heaven anyway, why are we bothering with all this stuff? And he couldn't answer me. And he was a preacher in the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church. Uh, he was a forerunner of what they're becoming now. And so uh, he said, well, I, I, I don't, he, he had to confess he didn't know. And then a few days later, he ran me down. He caught me and he said, I've got an answer for you. I'll tell you why we go ahead and we evangelize. It's because of the quality of life. The quality of life that you have when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and develop a relationship with him. It's good to have a relationship with God in this life. Now, he had to go get that from somewhere else. He didn't have his theology worked out all that well, but he hit on a very good point. And it's a reason why we need to share the gospel with people. Lives are different when we're connected with the Lord. Goodness and mercy follow us when we have surrendered and yielded our lives to him. And so uh, there's a quality of life that you can never have as long as you're running from God or ignoring God and not connected with God. And there is a wonderful, wonderful difference in knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior.
And so this just explains why we need to witness for one thing. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So first of all, goodness. Goodness is an attribute of God. And we've talked about the attributes of God before, but to just help you understand, whenever Moses asked God to let him see his glory, now I want you to think about this, because this is after the plagues, which were impressive. Uh, This is after the Red Sea, which was incredible. This is after the law had been given on the mountain. He talked with God face to face. In fact, God actually says, I talked with Moses face to face. This is after all of that. But Moses asked God to see his glory. And I've gone over this before with you, but I'm going to do it again because some of you weren't here to hear it. I want to give you a practical definition of the word glory. And that is what a person is famous for. For instance, if I said Jack Nicholas or Tiger Woods, what are they famous for? Golf. That's right. That's the first thing that pops into your head. That's their glory. That's where they glory. That is their glory, is their golf game. Uh, They got glory or attention or people knew them because of golf. If I say Michael Jordan or LeBron James, where's their glory? Basketball. That's right. That's right. That's what they're famous for. And so Moses is actually asking God, what are you famous for? And since goodness is one of his attributes, he's kind of asking, what's the best attribute that you have? And now because God is God and all of his attributes are a hundred percent, but his answer is amazing. He says, You want to know what I'm famous for? You want to know the best thing that I do? And this is in Exodus 33, 18 and 19. He says this to Moses. Whenever Moses said, please show me your glory. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. If you want to know what I'm good at, It's goodness. I mean, if you will know the thing that I'm most famous for, if you want to know what I do the best, and and I do everything the best, by the way, you know, that's just God that's talking, you know. But if you want, uh, went on to want to know what I'm best at, it's that I'm good. That's it. God is good. All the time. time. You see, that's why we say that. It's the truth. And it's also foundational to our faith. If you don't believe that God is good, you're not really, you can't really exercise true faith. Let me put it that way. 
Now, as an attribute uh, is something that God is. It's not something God does. God does because he is. But the thing about the attributes of God is that all the attributes work together. But when we talk about the goodness of God, I want you to take some of the other attributes and align them with the goodness of God. First of all, there's justice. How could God be good if he wasn't fair? Have you ever thought about that? How could he be good if evil wasn't punished or paid for or dealt with? God, that's, that's one thing. God is also infinite, and that means he can't be measured. He has no limits. He has no bounds. Okay, so because God is infinite, he has no boundaries at all. He has no end. So, so think about this. With goodness, God is infinitely good. There's no end to his goodness. Another one's attributes is he is immutable. And that means that he doesn't change. He can't change. So once again, he can never be bad. He's good. And he will always be good. Another one of his attributes is he's omnipotent. And that means he has all power. So he has all power to be good. In other words, his goodness is not limited by his power because his power is limitless. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. And so let me say it this way. His goodness is everywhere. There's so many things about his goodness that they're just all through the Bible, where people that we read about in Scripture got to understand how good God was. And they show us what it's like to be people who truly believe that God is good. This, as I said earlier, is the uh, heart of bona fide Christian faith. We trust that God is good. When? All the time. That's right. All the time. Even in the face of difficulties, we trust that God is good. All the time, God is good. One of the great examples of this is Job. He was going through, so through many difficult things, so many different things, and yet he states, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now see, that's trusting in a good God while you're going through bad stuff. And that's what we're called to do. Abraham trusted in the goodness of God so much that he was willing to obediently offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice to him. It says in Hebrews that he believed worst seen scenario, God would raise him from the dead because he trusted in the goodness of God. 
so much so that he would obey him no matter what he knew God wanted him to do. If God said to do it, it was good. And then, of course, in the New Testament, we uh, uh, got we have the revelation that Paul got about the goodness of God. And we shared that this morning, didn't we? He's so good that he works everything for good. That's how good he is. I mean, even the bad things that happen in your life, he works together for good. That's what Sharon and I have been going through this past week. Uh, it's looked, it's been a roller coaster. You'd hear, got a bad, you'd, you'd, you'd think things were looking, looking bad, and then it turns out, nope, they're looking good. You know, is it looking bad? No, it's really good. And uh, all the way through, it's been like that. So uh, I won't go into all the details of it, but one of the greatest attacks of Satan is to get us to doubt or to disbelieve the goodness of God. And here's what's so amazing to me. Satan is the one who brought bad into the world. He's the author of bad. He brought evil into the world. He brought death, disease, murder, rape. He brought all of that into the world. Satan brought it into the world. So when Satan accuses God of not being good, he uses his own work as evidence that God's not good. And somehow we believe it, don't we? We'd start to doubt. It's like something bad happens and Satan says, well, if God is good, why did that happen? Well, the correct theology is you'd turn it around and say, because you brought it in, dummy. That's what you'd say to Satan. That wouldn't have happened if you hadn't brought sin into the world in the first place. Because God didn't bring that. God created a good world and God is good. We're the ones that messed up. And we messed up because Satan comes along and says, has God really said? Immediately, he gets us to doubt and to disbelieve the goodness of God. His first thing that he did with Adam and Eve is he said to them, God's holding back on you. He's not as good as you think he is. And he got them to doubt. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but why were you created? What were you created for? You see, it's the goodness of God. That's why you even get to be here, sitting here today, is because of the goodness of God. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And so every good thing comes from the Father. And it goes on and says, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. That's the immutability we're talking about. In other words, God will never change. But look what follows in verse 18. The very next verse says, of his own will, 
He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In other words, all good gifts come from God and he brought us forth. And you know what? Even when you're feeling down on yourself, really, you're a good gift from God to those around you. God put you here to be a gift and a blessing to those around you. And you are, whether you know it or not. So uh, God brought us forth. And I'm going to say it another way. Why were you created? Well, explain. It wasn't because you were good. That's not why he created you. It was because he's good. You didn't even exist. So how could nothing do something to deserve something? Are you following me? If you're not, I can back up. Okay. All right. You didn't, you didn't do one thing to get created because you didn't even exist. And then a good God created you. You are good. He created you good. So God created you. And this is what he's telling us in these two verses. Because he's good. That's why he created you. And then what was he looking for uh, in everything he created? Look back at the beginning. He was looking to see if it was good. Every step of the way, he would stop and say, it is good. It is good. Except the sixth day, halfway through the day, by the way, at the end of the sixth day, he did say it. But halfway through, he didn't. Okay. Okay. So at the end of every day, it says God looked at what he created and said, it is good. Except one thing. After he created man, he said, Ah, I can do better than that. No, no, that's not what he said. That's not what he said. After he created man, uh, he said, I'm going to try to get through all these jokes and stuff I had here. Okay. (laughs) All right. But uh, he didn't say I could do a lot better than that. But he did say it's not good. What he actually said is it is not good to leave him alone. That's what he said. It's not good that the man is alone. But then after he created woman, then he said, he looked at the man and the woman and said, okay, now it's good. Now it's good. That's good. But it wasn't good before. So what he was looking for when he was creating everyone, God is so good that he works everything for good. Even though we don't think it's good, everything, everything. So here's number two, mercy. Justice and mercy are used a lot in the Bible together. There are a whole lot of passages, just one in Psalm 101, verse 1, it says, I will sing of mercy and justice. You see, I put them together all the way through the Old Testament. You'll see mercy and justice together. 
And some people say, well, I don't know why, you know, he's just showing this contradiction and all, you know, but it's because we need mercy because he is just. Now, the reason that's a little strange, as I said, because they're opposites. Justice is giving you what you deserve. Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. And grace is giving you what you don't deserve. So here's the question that is asked all the time. How could God and justice is one of his attributes. How could God be fully just and fully merciful at the same time? It's because of a word that we don't use very much, and that word is impute. Psalm 32.2 says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. The word impute means to put it in one's account. So David is saying, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not put his iniquity into his account. This then is quoted in Romans 4 about Abraham. And then he talks about imputed righteousness. And this is a a whole truth that's taught in seminary for us to understand because it's the basis of our faith. It's what's the cross. It's what the cross is all about, is imputed righteousness. But he's talking about Abraham, and he says in Romans 4, 3, uh, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, this word accounted is the same word that's used for imputed. They can be interchanged. And so, uh, and in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, it says, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, not imputing their sins to their accounts. That's for the whole world. Remember, Jesus died for the whole world. He didn't just die for the church. The church is made up of those who have received the fact that he died for them. Then in 2 Corinthians, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So how does God give us whenever we deserve? How does God give us? How does God give us what we deserve and not give us what we deserve? How is God just and how is he merciful? It's even more complicated than that because you see, justice, righteousness, and sin can't mix up. You can't mix them. And so... Something's got to happen, do you see? So what he does, he takes all of our sin out of our account and he puts it in Jesus' account. He takes all of Jesus' righteousness out of his account and he puts that in our account. That's how he is just and merciful at the same time. 
we were just weighed down with our sins. Jesus was the sinless Lamb of God. And it says that He laid the iniquity of us all upon Him so that we might be the righteousness righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He took it all. He took it all. That's why we're the wonderful thing about witnessing. This is the wonderful thing about it. We get to tell people your sin has already been paid for. You don't have to work. You don't have to. There's no probationary period in the kingdom of God. It's not like when you prove that you can be good enough, then you can be a Christian. He loves you, warts and all. He'll take you, warts and all. He loves you, the real you. And God has already taken all of your sin out of your account. But you have to believe in Jesus to believe that he's done that and receive that before his righteousness can be put into your account. That's why the whole world's not going to heaven because they haven't received Christ's righteousness. But he's taken care of their sin. And I've told you this before, and I know that it's shocking, and I don't have time to go into it, but people don't go to hell because of their sin. They go to hell because of unbelief. They're separated from God because they refuse to believe and receive what he's done for them. They just won't believe. See, Jesus doesn't say, he that doesn't sin goes to heaven, and he that sins doesn't have eternal life. This is what he says. He that believes has eternal life. He that doesn't believe doesn't have eternal life. So the sin problem, it's great news. The sin problem has already been taken care of for the whole world. It's all taken care of. That's done. Now, it's just whether you want to receive it or not. And really, if you want to ask, if you want to put it in real simple terms, here's a real simple question. Do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? Because you see, it's your choice. You get to choose. Isn't that neat? I've chose heaven. How about you? Yeah, yeah. But people say, I can't believe a loving God would send anyone to hell. No, he doesn't send anyone to hell. You send yourself because he gives you the choice. I just want to tell you something. I need mercy today. I need it as much as I did 48 years ago uh, whenever I accepted Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And here's what's great about Psalm 23. Goodness and mercy are following me all the days 
of my life. They're following me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy. And let me tell you, it's fantastic. On my worst days, when I feel like such a failure before him, he just says, no, I still love you. Get up and get going. Just confess it, put it behind you, and let's move on, Joel. That's what he does with all of us. Here's something I think that you need to say out loud from time to time, and that's I'm Barabbas. And so let's say it together right now. I'm Barabbas. And here's the reasoning. Barabbas was one of the three men that uh, had committed armed robbery and murder uh, during the robbery. And Pilate stands before the people and says, you have a custom that I release one prisoner for you on the day of Passover. Shall I release Jesus? And they said, no, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Now, as a, there was, so there were three men scheduled to be executed, Barabbas and the two thieves who were executed on either side of him. Okay, so there were two thieves, but it's Barabbas who was the murderer. And so they actually asked for the murderer to be released. And so Barabbas is in his prison cell. They come down the hall. They get his friend who committed robbery and they usher him out. Then they come down, they get his other friend and take him out to go to be crucified. And then they come down and they open Barabbas's door and they say, you're free. You could go home. Now, we don't know exactly what Barabbas said. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But you would think, well, why am I free? And this would have been the answer. Jesus took your place. They're going to crucify Jesus in your place. You see, you get to live because Jesus died. And so I just want you to know I'm Barabbas and you're Barabbas too. We deserved to die, but God is merciful and he lets us live. Goodness and mercy. Here's number three, eternal life. He promises that Verse 6 says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, some people, for some reason, think that uh, that heaven is going to be like mega church every day, all the time, around the clock, just church all the time. Now, I wonder what Jimmy and Johnny would think of that church all the time oh my when i was a kid i endured having to be still and all you know i mean i just had to draw pictures stuff you know and so uh but there's a story about a little boy who uh was in the foyer when the picture when the preacher came through and the little boy is looking at a uh, pictures of a bunch of men on the wall 
And he was just studying these pictures and he saw the preacher said, Preacher, who are all these men? And the uh, preacher said, Oh, uh, uh, Billy, those are, are men that died in the service. And the little boy studied the picture some more. And then he said, he said Which one? Eight o'clock or ten o'clock? <laughs> and that's about the way kids feel about church, I think, a lot of times. But uh, the thing is, that's not how heaven's going to be. It's not going to be church 24-7. It's not going to be like that. You're going to dwell in heaven forever. Forever. And I said, well, you know, the title of this sermon is He Promises. And uh, the third point is eternal life. And there is a verse and it says, this is what he's promised us in first John 2:25. John says, and this is the promise that he promised us eternal life. This is the promise eternal life. And these are coming to us through the pen of John who was with him who uh, saw what happened to him, who raced Peter to the tomb and discovered that he wasn't there. This is the one who says, this is that the promise that he promised us, eternal life. Now, let me just sum up Psalm 23 in just a very few words as we close up this series. These are the words. All of this, and I get to go to heaven. That's it. All of this. That's that's it. Green pastures, still waters, restoration of my soul, protection from my enemies, anointing, my cup running over, goodness and mercy, and I get to go to heaven. That's a good deal. That's really what Psalm 23 is telling us. But I want to remind you that our shepherd, we're talking about the good shepherd. Our shepherd became a sheep. The creator of the universe became the created. And do you remember what happened to him when he became a sheep? Isaiah 53, 7 says, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us what kind of a day that it was. And I'm just going to read from uh, the Gospel of Mark, beginning with the 15th verse, the 15th chapter, beginning with 33rd verse. Now, when the sixth hour had come, that's noon. The day started at 6 a.m. So now the sixth hour will be noon. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So that would be three o'clock. So it was darkness from noon until three o'clock. And now I want to show you another verse in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 34, 12. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, on the day he is among his scattered sheep. This is talking about when Jesus came to earth 
on the day he was among his sheep. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered. Talking about all the sins that hold them in bondage. Now listen to this. On a cloudy and dark day. (coughs) On a cloudy and dark day. From noon till three. Darkness. If you don't think this book is perfect, you just haven't studied it enough. It fits together perfectly. One last thing. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This word follow in the Hebrew means chase relentlessly. And there are a lot of people that are running from God. And that was me for many years because I just didn't want to give up my what I thought was fun. Even though sometimes I wondered why everything I thought was fun was killing me. So uh, anyway, uh, this is just it. But what you need to know is if you'll stop running, it's not his judgment that's chasing after you. It's his goodness and mercy. That's what I found when I was just brought to a screeching halt and cried out to him. I didn't find his judgment. I found his goodness and his mercy that I'd been missing my whole life up to that point. It's goodness and mercy that are relentlessly pursuing you. You've been running from the goodness and mercy of God, not the judgment of God. This wonderful shepherd provides for us. He protects us and he backs it up with a promise. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.